This is the Radio Bible Class, and I'm your host, Tim Carter. We welcome you to our Bible study as the Radio Bible Class streams across the nation and around the world. We bring to a message how Christ ministers to his disciples after the resurrection. We greet you on the internet and radio with the message that Jesus is alive today. Now, today's lesson is titled, The Time of the End, and it comes from Daniel 12. But before we start our lesson today, Word Talk, Inc. could use your support. Now, playing music on the radio may sound simple, but actually it's quite costly due to publishing rights and royalties. And before that first song is ever played, there's utility bills and tower rental fees and maintenance and so forth. We need people just like you to help with a tax-deductible gift. So won't you do that today? You can do that by calling us at 601-483-8648. And there, they can take your information safely and securely over the phone. Or mail us your gift to Word Talk, Inc., P.O. Box 4334, Meridian, Mississippi, 39304. Your gift to Word Talk, Inc. is IRS approved as a 501c3 tax-exempt ministry. Now, your contribution is never used for salaries or managerial purpose, but 100% of it goes to the expense providing the good news of Jesus Christ to our listening area. Hebrews 13, 16 says, Do not neglect to do good and to share what you have, for such sacrifices are pleasing to God. If you'd like to go back and listen to a previous lesson in our study of Daniel, you can do that by going to our podcast website. That's Radio Bible Class with no spaces between radiobibleclass.podbean.com. You can also catch us on iTunes by going to the podcast section and searching for WMER Radio Bible Class with no spaces between Radio Bible Class. And last, you can go to the WMER website and listen to us as we stream live right there at WMERWorldwide.com. Well, we're going to bring the book of Daniel to a close today by looking at the final chapter, chapter 12. For those that missed some of the sections of Daniel, remember that the first six chapters of Daniel are about the 65 years where Daniel was captive and caught captive, and he served kings for Babylonian and for Persia. And then the second half of the book of Daniel, chapter 7 through 12, is a prophetic journal that Daniel wrote of the dreams and the vision that God gave him over his lifetime. All these visions and dreams that Daniel were given were in his future. Now, as we've covered through these different lessons and studied different chapters, we've seen that some of those visions have come to pass, and we know that through history, and we're able to document how God's dream and his prophecy has been fulfilled. But some of it has yet to be fulfilled, and as we get into chapter 12 today, that is the very case. It is yet to be fulfilled. If you remember, I've told you several times that some commentators even call the book of Daniel the Old Testament revelation book because it gives us a view of the end times. And that's where we're going to head today is the end of time. But what we do have, we can take Revelation, which was given to John after Jesus came, and we can take Daniel, which came 400 years before Jesus ever walked on this earth, and we can take the two and we can commentate. We can look at the similarities. We can look at the prophecies that were given and how they have been fulfilled. And so that takes us to where we're going to pick up today in chapter 12, and that is about the end times. You know, it's been said that timing is everything. In music, if you want to keep the beat, timing is everything. What's the difference between a funny comedian and a not-so-funny comedian? A lot of time, it is the timing of the joke. In telling a joke, timing is everything. If you look to sports, if you were to take a bat and you're standing behind the plate as the pitch is coming in, the timing is everything to making that hit. 
When it comes to finances, you want to time the market just right. You want to buy low, you want to sell high. Timing is everything. I think you could summarize this by saying timing is very important as we walk through life. And the book of Daniel is all about timing. The last two weeks, we've been going over a section of Daniel, chapters 10 and 11 and 12, and they all go together because it's all about the end time. Soon as you start talking about the end of time, soon as you start talking about how time will end, what will the end be like, people perk up. People want to understand prophecy. They want to understand what it's going to be like in the future. I think if all of us were honest and we could time travel, we would go into the future to get information so we could come back and take advantage of that. But we are lucky as Christians because we have the Bible and God has revealed the future to John, but not only John, to Daniel. And today we look at the very end of time. So with that, I've got a lot to cover. So let's jump right in. Turn with me to Daniel chapter 12, verse 1. I'll be reading out of the ESV. And at that time shall arise Michael, the great prince who's in charge of your people. And there shall be a time of trouble, such as never has been since that was a nation till that time. But at that time your people shall be delivered, everyone whose name shall be written in the book. And many who sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake, some to everlasting life and some to shame of everlasting contempt. And we're going to stop right there for now. Now, if you look at really the first four verses, the, this whole chapter has been given in three topics. He talks about a time of trouble. Uh, he talks about a time of deliverance. And he talks about a time of the end. And that's in verse four, which we hadn't got to yet. But those three things really are the outline of this chapter. And so we're going to look at that. We're going to look at a time of trouble. So he says right in verse 1 that Michael is going to stand. He's the great prince. This is Michael the archangel who stands guard over the nation of Israel. And we've seen him a couple of times. And he says that Michael is going to stand. And then there will be a time. There will be a time of trouble. Jesus talked about this. He called it the time of tribulation. In your Bible, it may say anguish. It may say distress. But it is a time of trouble. And then it goes on to say that it is a time of trouble like none have ever seen. As we've studied in Revelation before, my father, who used to teach before me, used to teach in the book of Revelation, we've studied that there is going to be a time of seven years. And this is going to be a time of great tribulation. And this is what Daniel is talking about, that seven years, the time of tribulation. He's saying that this is to come and it is still to come for us. We have not seen this trouble that even Jesus talked about in Matthew. Let's turn to Matthew. Matthew 24, 21 and 22. Jesus says, for then there will be great tribulation. Such has not been from the beginning of the world until now. No, and never will be. And if in those days had not been cut short, no human being would be saved. But for the sake of the elect, those days will be cut short. Jesus is saying there's going to be this tribulation. It's what Daniel spoke of in uh, Daniel chapter 12. And there is going to be great unparalleled times. He's saying God is going to pour out his wrath on a God forsaking world. And he's doing that so that he can get the attention of those that have forsaken him, those that have forgot about him, those that have not listened to what his word is and the, his word that has been brought to them. 
But Jesus does give us some hope in verse 22. He says, but for the sake of the elect, those days will be cut short. So what he's saying there is for those that are saved, that they have hope that they won't have to go through this time of trouble, this time of tribulation. Now, the book of Revelation talks about this time all the way from chapter 6 through chapter 18. It talks about seven trumpets blowing. It talks about seven bowls being poured out. And all of these are judgments that fall on the world. And there are times when we lose a third of the earth. We lose a third of the living creatures. We lose a third of the water. We lose a third of the sea. Today, it's estimated there are 8 billion people on the earth. And if you do the math of what is spoken to in Revelation 6 through 18, when it's all said and done, there'll only be about half the people left, three to four billion people. So four to five billion people will die through this seven-year tribulation. You might be going, Tim, well, why would a loving God, a God that you told me loves me so much that he knows the hair on my head, that he wants what's good for me, he wants to prosper me, he wants a future for me, How could a God that loves me like that allow a tribulation that you're talking about? Well, there's really three reasons for the tribulation. And the first one is he is trying to wake up unbelievers. This is truly a wake up call, a final opportunity for people to be saved. I don't know what it took for you to come to Christ, but sometimes it takes a bigger two by four to hit somebody upside the head, to put them in a place where they have nowhere else to look but up. And I can tell you story after story of people that had to be taken to a point where God took them so that they would look up. Now, some of you were not resistant at all. Some of you came easily when God knocked on your heart, but some of you, God had to take you down. He had to use drastic measures. And as we've even studied this book, we saw King Nebuchadnezzar, and we saw some of the things that God had to do in front of King Nebuchadnezzar before he finally gave over. He had to turn his mind over. He was like a beast that was in the field, but it was then that King Nebuchadnezzar finally gave his heart to God. So as you study Revelation, as you hear about the things that are going to happen in this tribulation, it may not sound like a loving God, but remember that these are the people that have been giving a fist to God. These have been the folks that have been the hardest of the hardest and have not turned to him. For those of you that say God is not a loving God, then why would he have sent his son over 2,000 years ago to die on a cross for your sin, to make a way that you can come back to him because we all fall short of the glory of God. We all sin. That's what Romans tells us. And God made a way because he loves each and every one of us. And so this pouring out of his wrath is to wake up the unbelievers. Well, you might ask, well, Tim, is this going to work? Well, It will work for some because we know that in a crisis that some come and turn to God, but others turn and get angry at God. And during this time of tribulation, that is going to be a mixture of what we see. Some will turn and they will die a martyr's life because that's what it tells us. But others will turn their fist to God and get more angry with God because of the wrath that he pours out, trying to get them to turn to him. See, John 3.16 said that he loved the world so much that he gave his only begotten son, that all would be saved, none would perish. So that is the reason why there'll be a time of tribulation, that God is trying to wake up believers. Now, the second reason is because he's going to shake up the nation of Israel. 
If you talk to any Jew today, they will tell you that Jesus was not the Messiah. He was a prophet. He was just like any other prophet. He was not the Messiah. They are still waiting for the Messiah to come. But during the tribulation, God is going to use the time to change an unprecedented number of Jews to come to Jesus Christ. They are going to come to see Jesus as their Savior. Turn with me real quickly to Zechariah 12, verse 10. And I will pour out on the house of David and the inhabitants of Jerusalem a spirit of grace and pleas for mercy, so that when they look on me, on him whom they have pierced, they shall mourn for him, as one mourns for his only child and weep bitterly over him, as one weeps for a firstborn. Zechariah was giving the inspiration that Jesus is going to come back and he's going to stand on the Mount of Olives and the Jews will see him and they will mourn for him. They will see the marks in his hands. They will see the marks in his feet, the mark in his side as he was born for their transgression, who they persecuted, who they pierced, and they shall mourn for him. Now, if you jump ahead to chapter 13, verse 9, Zechariah says that one-third will be saved. And it says right there in verse 9, And I will put this third into the fire, and refine them as one refined silver, and test them as gold is tested. And they will call upon my name, and I will answer them. I will say, they are my people, and they will say, the Lord is my God. Right here we see one-third, an unprecedented number of all the Jewish people will come to know Jesus and that he will be their Savior. He will be Lord of their life. He will be the Messiah. If you go to the book of Revelation, it confirms this. It talks about the 144,000. It talks about how 12,000 from each tribe will be saved and how they will speak on Jesus' behalf. They will speak on God's behalf and they will stand up to the Antichrist. And so God is using the tribulation to shake up the nation of Israel. Remember I told you that he wakes up the unbelievers. He uses it to shake the nation of Israel. And then he brings the finality to the kingdom of God. He puts the final names in the book of life. Those that are written in the book of life and those that do not accept God will come to a final finality. God's patience, God's long-suffering will eventually come to an end. You know, a lot of people think about, well, I'll just wait till tomorrow. First of all, you're not guaranteed tomorrow. And when Jesus comes back to battle the Antichrist, when he comes back for Armageddon, that will be the final battle. That will be it. So those are the reasons for the tribulation, this time of trouble that we saw in verse 1. But we also see at the end of verse 1 that there will be a time of deliverance. And why is there a need for a time of deliverance? Well, one, there's going to be this Antichrist. And we looked at this in chapter 7, chapter 8, and chapter 9, and even last week in chapter 11 about this Antichrist. And we'll turn back real quick at chapter 11, 35 and 36. Uh, we'll see the Antichrist. He's this man that will rise up in power. And he shall rise up just like we've studied about Antiochus Epiphanes that this Antichrist will rise up. He will do as he sees. He will be a strong man that comes out of this ten-nation confederation and that he will blaspheme God. He will put himself above all gods. He will put himself, he will not be about his father's God. So that makes him to think that he may be Jewish. He's going to take it to the point where he is asked everyone to worship him as God. 
And that's when the Jews are going to realize and they're going to turn on him because he's going to make peace with them and he's going to turn on them. He's going to desecrate the temple and he's going to put a object of him and they're going to say, you must worship me. You must take the mark of the beast. And if you don't, if you don't worship him, if you don't take the mark of the beast, you will martyr. You will be, you will have to make a stand for him and worship him or you will die. We'll also see that this Antichrist rises to power at the halfway point of the tribulation. Now he is part of that 10 nation confederation at the beginning of the seven years, but he becomes a dictator and he takes over and control at the halfway mark when he is given ultimate power. And that is why it's pointed out that there'll be a time of deliverance. Look back with me at verse one where it says, but at that time, your people shall be delivered. Everyone whose name shall be found written in the book. What is shown right here, what is said to Daniel is at that time, deliverance is assured. No matter how great the attack that is in this time of trouble, in this tribulation, the Jewish people are delivered. God's promise to preserve them, he will not break. He promised Abraham back in Genesis 17, 7, that he would have a covenant between him and his descendants. And it's going to be an everlasting covenant. And God will hold true to that statement. But I also want you to notice what it says. It's not just a promise for the Jews, but it's promised to everyone who is found written in the book. Not every person that is a Jew has been saved. Yet Israel as a whole is known as the people who trust in Jesus as the Messiah. We are known as virtual Israel if you are a Christian, if you have put your trust in Christ. Now, you will not be here. I'll show you that at another time that the tribulation happens after we're taken out. That's what I believe. But right here, we see that there is a time that we are delivered. Throughout the Bible, we see in several places this term of the rapture. And that's not actually called the rapture, but it's called a snatching up. And right here in verse 2, we see that many of those who sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake, and some to everlasting life, and some to everlasting contempt. And what that is talking about is when God comes back for his people, those that have died will be raptured up. They will be snatched up. They'll be taken with Jesus. Jesus covered this very topic in John chapter 5 in verse 28 and 29. Listen to what it says. Do not marvel at this, for an hour is coming when all who are in the tombs will hear his voice and come out. Those who have done good to the resurrection of life and those who have done evil to the resurrection of judgment. Paul also wrote about this in 1 Thessalonians 4, starting in verse 13, he talks about there are going to be those that are asleep that will be raised again. But there's also going to be a generation that never knows death, that they will be changed in the twinkling of an eye. They will not be preceded in death. But it says in verse 16, I want to read that to you in 1 Thessalonians 4. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with the cry of a command and the voice of an archangel, with the sound of a trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. And then those who are alive, who are left, will be called up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so will always be with the Lord. So therefore, encourage one another with these words. We saw right here in verse 1 at the very beginning of chapter 12 that Michael stands up and arise. And it says right there in 1 Thessalonians, the archangel, who is Michael, will let out a cry. He will blow a trumpet and those who are dead will rise. 
They will come out of the earth. And that is the first resurrection. That is the first rapture. And that happens before this tribulation starts. But we see that there will be those that will be raised to everlasting light that I just read about. And then there are those that will be raised to everlasting contempt, to shame. And that is the great white throne of judgment that he's talking about. We see in Revelation 20. So right here in verse 2, we see that there are two people that wake up. There are those that are awakened, that are raptured into everlasting life. And then there are those that are raptured or taken to everlasting contempt and shame. And what this also shows is that there is a heaven and a hell. There are two kinds of people. There are those that have accepted Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, and that those that have rejected him. Don't let the world fool you and say, at death, that is the finality of your life. That's not true. There is a soul inside of you. And the question is, where do you want to spend eternity? Do you want to spend it with heaven and with God and worshiping him? Or do you want to be down in hell? And then look how he concludes the book. Look at verse four with me. But you, Daniel, shut up the words and seal the book until the time of the end. Many shall run to and fro and the knowledge shall increase. Now, there is some controversy on what does it mean by shut up the word, seal the book? Does that mean that everybody is sealed? It? That really what this means, if you go look at it, is implied that this is to be kept safely and until the time that it is there and needed. Seal the book has really a double sense of authenticating this message and also preserving this message. And then it says until the end of the time. There is a time of the end. And this prophecy speaks of that end. This is the time of the end. And that's what it says right here. Now that statement of running to and fro, there are a lot of people that say that we fulfilled this with our travel that we have, being able to jump on a plane and go anywhere these days. But that is not exactly what it means here. It really means about knowledge shall increase. What they're really talking about here is that people will search after knowledge. They will rapidly want to know more and more. It is talking about people running to and fro, searching after knowledge so that they would know about future events. They would know the answer to the important questions of life. You know, the sad thing is we live in a time right now where knowledge has never been easier to get. It's at our fingertips using the World Wide Web and the Internet. Yet there are a lot of people, there are a lot of smart people with information, but if they don't use it, if they don't understand what is going on, then they don't have the knowledge. Just over the last 150 years, the knowledge of the prophecy and being able to understand the prophecy of God has come to our fruition. We're able to take supercomputers and tie scripture together, and we're able to use scripture to be a commentary on another part of scripture and tie it all back. Last thing I want to cover real quickly is that it says, shut up the words and seal the book. Now, again, the book that we've seen earlier is the book of life where names are written. And that's not necessarily what we're talking about here. What it's really saying is shut up the words and seal the book. The vision's over. We've told you about a world ruler that's coming, that he is going to oppose God. We've told you about a one world religion that will be about the abomination of desolation. We've told you about a world war that is coming that will defeat the ruler ultimately. We've told you about a great tribulation for Israel and those that do not know Jesus Christ, the last half of the tribulation. It will be a time that no one has ever seen. 
And we see about a deliverance of the people of God. After that tribulation, we see a resurrection and a judgment that goes on, and we see a reward for being righteous. And so what that really means is he's saying, this is the end of time and the book is finished. So you can close the book because there's nothing else to tell you. This is the end of time from Daniel 11:36 all the way to Daniel 12:3. And then we see in Daniel 12, 5 through 7 that Daniel's troubled by this and he asks, how long will this time of trouble be? I'm not going to read through all this, but what I will tell you is a summary version real quick because I'm really out of time, is that there's two that are on this riverbank and one of them raises his hand, the one that is clothed in linen, and he says that it will be a time, times, and a half a time. Now, if you've studied prophecy, I, can, I don't have time to go through all the places in the Bible that this is it, but a time is a year. And times would be two years, and then a half a time would be a half a year. So you add those together, a time, times, and a half. One plus two plus a half equals three and a half. And also notice that he raises his hand. This is a way that the angel is able to show Daniel that this is biblical prophecy that will come to pass. And then right here in verses 8 through 12, we see that Daniel asked his last question. How will it turn out? And God answers him through the angel by saying, go your way, Daniel. Now, this isn't a physical go your way, but this is the, a mental departure of his questioning. The angel is telling Daniel, be satisfied with what God has given you and the interpretation that he's given you. And then he gives a reconfirmation of the time, times, and a half a time by saying, at the end of this time, it will be 1,290 days. And that 1,290 days is three and a half years. And that is the time from the abomination of desolation that will happen in the temple when the Antichrist says, you will worship me to the time that Jesus comes back. And even Jesus in Matthew 24, 15 points to the abomination of desolation. And he says that as a mark of his return. That is the stopwatch that clicks on. You can count the days from the time that happens. It will be 1,290 days later that Jesus will bust through the clouds for that second return. But I want to finish reading verse 13 because we skipped a lot right there in the middle. Try to give you all the details about it and you can go back and read that. But in verse 13, he says, but go your way till the end and you shall rest and you shall stand in your allotted place at the end of the days. God had a plan for Daniel, and Daniel was to finish the course that God had started. Daniel was to complete that, and then he would stand in his place in the end. I'm out of time, so let me finish with this final thought real quick. There is a heaven and a hell, and we saw that today. And the question is, are you going to heaven? Are you going to hell? That's not a popular question to ask these days. Everybody wants to hear about God's love and how he loves us and he forgives us and all that is true. God loves you immensely and there is nothing you can do to stop him from loving you. But there is a truth that is not being preached behind pulpits today and that there is a hell. And that if you do not believe on the finished work on the cross, on what Jesus did, how he nailed your sins to the cross, if you don't believe on that, if you don't ask him to be Lord of your life, if you don't turn over your selfish ways and make him Lord and live a life under him, then you are not going to heaven. And I want to know today, have you given your life to Christ? If you're not, today is today. 
He is standing and knocking. Revelations 3.20 says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone opens the door, I will come in. God is standing and he's saying, let me in. Will you do that? Let us pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we come before you today, Lord. We thank you for the book of Daniel, Lord. And I pray that everyone that has had an opportunity to hear, that it will fall on fertile soil. Lord, that my words and what you've given me as I've studied, that it will come across clear. Lord, that those things that you want people to hear, that they will perk up and they will pay attention to. Lord, there is a lot right here in this one chapter about the end of time. But Lord, I pray right now that you would just speak to those that need to know you. Those that will not be raised to everlasting life, but they will spend a life in hell and contentment and shame. Lord, right now, I pray that they would give their life to you. Lord, they would ask you to be Lord of their life. Lord, they, they would say that you died on the cross. They would believe on that finished work. They would believe that you did it for them. They would make you Lord of their life and they would confess with their mouth before men. Lord, maybe there are those that have given their life to you, but they've not witness to others. Lord, put a burning on their heart that they will take more to heaven with them. Lord, that they would learn to be soul winners. Lord, that they would tell others about your great work and how your love. Lord, keep them from this time of tribulation. Lord, we thank you for all the many blessings you give this ministry. Lord, I pray for every soul that listens that your will will be done. Your word will not return void. It's in your name we pray. Amen.